Father, as we turn now to the Word of God, we ask for your blessing. Come, Holy Spirit, enlighten our minds and fan into flame a love for you and a desire to follow you all the way to the end, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please be seated. On uh, your behalf, let me thank the youth choir for doing such a wonderful job this morning. Thank you so much. Now, our uh, text is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, we've had to expand the text a little uh, in order to finish on time. And uh, we pick it up this morning in verse 8, 8 through 13, 2 Timothy 2. 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny himself. Amen, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Now, the big idea um, throughout Timothy, but especially here in these verses, is endurance. Endurance. Keeping going in the face of opposition and trial. The text before us this morning is reminiscent of something that we read fairly frequently in the book of Hebrews, especially in chapter 3 and verse 13, encourage one another after, uh, as the day is long, uh, as it is called today, so that, so that some of you might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another so that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Endurance. We see it there twice. Once in verse 10, therefore I endure everything. And again in verse 12, in this trustworthy saying, if we endure, we will also reign. Perhaps another word is perseverance, the perseverance of the saints. Now, sometimes we um, talk about the perseverance of the saints, meaning the preservation of the saints, and the preservation is something that God does, but the perseverance is something that we do by the power of the Holy Spirit. We persevere even to the end. And Paul provides for us here three powerful motivations to endure, to persevere. I want to speak to you this morning 
who perhaps are tempted to look back. Remember, it's a fearful thing to look back. Remember what happened to Lot, Lot's wife, when she looked back with admiration for that terrible, terrible city. And there was still a love in her heart for that city. I want to speak to you who are tempted to look back. I want to speak to you this morning, and you're conscious that you're not running the race as quickly as you once did. You've slowed your pace down. There's not that love for the Scriptures that you once had. Your prayer life isn't what it ought to be. Paul is speaking to you. God is speaking to you and to me this morning about endurance, about keeping going. We all should be Duracell Christians that keeps going and going and going in the face of every obstacle and every difficulty. The difficulties may be outside and the difficulties may be inside. They may be health. They may be a marriage. It may be your work that's causing you trials and difficulties. Or it may be Satan himself behind it all. He lives to bring you down. Every day he lives to bring you down. And here are three powerful motivations for endurance. And the first one is the example of Christ. The example of Christ. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Paul is reminding us that Jesus died. He died on the cross. He died at Calvary. He died in our room instead. This, this sinless Son of God, who never committed any sin, cruelly they took Him and nailed Him to a cross for our sins, to propitiate the wrath of God, to pay the ransom price, to set us free. He was crucified. Men took Him and killed Him. But it was all by the power and foreknowledge of God. God was providing a way for us to be saved, for us to go to heaven, for us to be rescued from the throes of sin. He rose from the dead. You cannot keep a good man down. After three days, he rose from the dead, as he had promised, and men saw him. The Apostle Paul saw him. Paul could think back many years, 25, 30 years into the past, and he could remember that moment on the Damascus Road at the death of Stephen. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He saw the risen Christ. It was the mark of his apostleship. Disciples saw him. They ate with him in the upper room. 
astonishing that one of the first things Jesus says in, in the upper room to the disciples is, have you got anything to eat? He hadn't eaten for three days. And even in His resurrection body and as a, as a mark of the reality of that body, He asked for food to eat. You notice that Paul calls this his gospel. This is the gospel that Paul preached. It is my gospel. It's your gospel. It's God's gospel. It's the good news that gathers us um, together this morning, that Christ is risen from the dead, and He's risen from the dead for you. Notice what he's going to say uh, in verse 11, that if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. We have died to ourselves. We've died to our Adamic selves, and we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. This is Paul's gospel. It's not a gospel that you can save yourself. It's not a gospel that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's a gospel about the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, offered freely to sinners. Somebody sent me a picture this week. He's sitting here in the congregation. It was a picture of a church here in the city. I won't tell you which one it is. And outside on those, those notice boards, the message that the church had for passers-by was, be better. That's it, be better. Well, there is no gospel in that. There's absolutely no hope in that because in and of ourselves we cannot be better. Paul's gospel is that Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. He's risen from the dead. The offspring of David, a reminder that he's king, a reminder that in 2 Samuel 7, God entered into a covenant with David. And the promise that the seed of David would reign and rule victorious forever. Paul is suffering. He's in chains. He's, he's being treated like a criminal. But when he looks to Jesus, draws strength from Jesus, he can endure. He can persevere. Now, my dear friend, I don't know what's ailing you this morning. There are hundreds of issues in this room alone, and some of them are public and some of them are very personal and private. They're part of God's providence, mysteriously unfolding in your lives. And Paul is saying, not be better. That's not Paul's gospel. He's saying, look to Jesus. Remember that He is risen. Remember that He is victorious, that He sits enthroned as the King of kings, and He has you in the palms of His hands, and He will never let you go. That's good news. That's the glorious good news of the gospel, the example of Christ. But then secondly, the Word of God is not bound. The Word of God is not bound. Now, 
Look at what he says. For which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. There's power in the Word of God. Power to help you endure. You notice he calls it the Word of God. The Word of God. He's talking about the Old Testament. But he's also talking about his own writings. He was conscious that he was an apostle. And he was conscious that as he wrote, he was writing the Word of God. He will tell us in the third chapter that holy men of old wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, Peter says. And what does the apostle Paul say in chapter 3? He'll tell us that all Scripture is breathed out by God. God breathes out. He exhales. And what you have is the Word of God. What you hold in your hands this morning, if you have a Bible, and you should have a physical Bible. I know I'm guilty. I use my phone. There's something wrong with having a Bible on a phone. I can't remember what Harry Reader said about that. Some of you can remind me afterwards, but I remember he said something very clever about that. The Word of God. You want to know what God thinks about something? Then read the Scriptures. You have the very Word of God, the Word of God. The Bible is God speaking, and it cannot be bound. Oh, the world may try to stop Christianity. There are worldviews and narratives all around us that are totally contrary to the Word of God. But you must have confidence, my friend, in the power of the Scriptures, the power of the Word of God to change. Take China as an example. That wonderful man, Robert Morrison, London Missionary Society in 1807, went to China, translated the Bible into Chinese in 1819. 200 years of trial and woe. The Taiping Rebellion in 1850. Chairman Mao's Cultural Revolution in the 1960s. The Communist Party almost the entirety of the second half of the 20th century and the 21st century, there is an estimated 100 million Christians in China. Despite the opposition, despite the trial, because the Word of God is not bound. They may be meeting secretly. They may be meeting in their homes for fear of arrest, but the Word of God is not bound. What did Luther say? The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. God's Word is an irresistible force that no one can bind, that no one can stop. It is the most powerful thing in all the universe, the Word of God. Jim Packer told a story 
One time, when he was in London, in Speaker's Corner at the edge of Hyde Park, not far away from Buckingham Palace, and uh, there was a man. It's a place where you can say anything you want. You can rant about whatever you want. You can get up on a box and just speak. And there are all sorts of people. Some of them are crazy. Some of them are preaching politics. But this man had a hat. It was on the floor, and he was pointing to it, and he was saying, the most powerful thing in all the universe is under this hat. And he was gathering a crowd because they wanted to see it. Some of them wondered if, if there was a grenade or something under this hat. And then eventually he lifts the hat and there was a, a Bible, the most powerful thing in all the world. Notice how he brings in election. The Word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. What will the Word of God accomplish? The salvation of the elect. Paul doesn't know who they are. They don't have a, a little mark on their forehead to say that they're elect. God has chosen them from before the foundation of the world. But this is an absolute certainty and guarantee that every single one of them will be brought home. The Word of God will find them through the preaching of the Word of God, through evangelism, through reading the Bible, God will find them and convert them and bring them home. You notice that for the Apostle Paul, the doctrine of election is not one that says, well, I, I don't need to do anything. If, if that's God's promise, then they will be saved. No, that's not how Paul thinks. Paul is ready to go to prison. Paul is ready to die for the sake of preaching the gospel, because the way these elect are going to be brought home is through the preaching of the Word of God. A right understanding of election will give you confidence. Oh, if I didn't believe in election this morning, if I didn't believe in the sovereign power of God, what I'm doing right now is utter foolishness. It cannot accomplish anything. My poor little voice isn't going to affect anything at all. But by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit, it can become effective and the most powerful thing in all the universe. The Word of God is not bound. As Christians, we are we are too prone to become depressed and dejected, especially, I think, in the society and world in which we currently live in. You read the news and you listen to some news channels and it'll make you depressed. There's no confidence. But when you open the Scriptures, when you read the Bible, what I hold in my hand is an irresistible force that no one can bind. Do you believe that, my friend? 
I think if we believed that, we would be in the Word more. We would want to have this Word in our hearts and in our minds and in our thoughts and in our affections. The Word of God is not bound. What hope do we have for the future? Another election? Another president? Another governor? They can do wonderful things, good things, for the benefit of society, for sure. But they cannot save your soul. They cannot ensure that you will get home to heaven and be with Christ and live in the new heavens and new earth. Only God can do that. And He does it through the preaching of the Word of God. And Paul wants you to know that the Word of God is not bound. He's using a verb that draws attention to himself because he is bound. He's bound with chains. But the Word of God is free. The Word of God can penetrate into the darkest heart and renew that person and bring that person to life and to Christ. The Word of God is not bound. Well, that should be a motivation to endure, to run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then thirdly, our eternal future depends on our endurance. Our eternal future depends on our endurance. And he quotes this little trustworthy saying. There are five of them. Uh, in the pastoral epistles, scholars think, and, and they may be right, that these are hymns that might have been sung uh, when folk gathered together before the New Testament was written in that, in that early period, those 15, 20 years before the first Scripture appears. If we died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will reign with Him. That's the motivation, that we will reign with Christ. There are two possibilities that Paul speaks of here. One is endurance, and the other is faithlessness. Faithlessness. He's probably quoting, this little hymn is probably quoting from Matthew 10 and verse 33. Whoever denies me, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. If you deny Christ, if you say no to Christ, young people, you're growing up, you're in your teens. You'll go off to college. Worldviews will be presented before you that will challenge your faith. And if you deny Christ, if you say no to Jesus Christ, He also will deny you before His Father in heaven. That's a very solemn truth. 
You notice what he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Faithless here, I think, in, in a positive sense. We, we, are faithful. we are faithless every day. We fail him every day. Every day we come and confess our sins. Every Sunday morning we come and confess our sins. Every week I write out a confession of sin from the text that we're preaching on. Not until we get to heaven will there be no sin. But here's wonderful, glorious news this morning that should encourage you to endure. That if you are faithless, as you are, as I am, God remains faithful. God remains faithful. Like the geyser, every so often blows out that steam. Old faithful, God is faithful. Faithful for eternity, faithful to His Word, faithful to His covenant, faithful to His promise. What's the promise that He has given to those who have died with Christ and risen with Christ? What's the promise that He has made? I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are kept in the palms of His hands, and no one and nothing can snatch you from those hands. This is a call this morning to endure, to persevere even to the end. When you read Pilgrim's Progress, you're hardly, you're hardly into page 30, and Bunyan has put before you three characters who failed to endure. Don't be one of them. Let's confess our sins to God. Let's pray together. Father, we are indeed often faithless, but You are faithful. You cannot deny Yourself. You cannot go back on Your word of promise, Your covenant, that in Jesus Christ we can be assured of eternal salvation. Bless this word to us today, we pray. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.